Hey everyone, welcome back to the online ministry of Grace Baptist Church. We're in a series right now called The Unstuck Life. And we've been saying that some people are stuck because they've never heard or only believe part of the gospel message. Others never learn to connect to God's power in their lives. And some people figure out the receiving part, but not the sharing. We're convinced that the path to the unstuck life is believe, connect, share. And we hope that God leads you along that path as we look at the Bible together. Today, we're looking at what the Bible teaches about giving. And as we do, I think it's important that we all acknowledge our own starting point. We all bring assumptions and values that affect how we listen to God's word. In Japan, for example, there were three forms of giving in Buddhism that were ingrained in people's thinking. The first was when you went to the temple to pray. Every Buddhist temple has a huge statue that you pray to. And in front of that statue is a box where you throw your coins in. It literally looks like a vending machine. It makes God seem like a busker that'll do tricks for you if you give him some spare change. That background affects how people read the Bible's teaching on giving. But there's a second way that you give in a Japanese temple. If you don't just want to give some spare change, you can make a major donation and your name will go on a sign in the temple for everyone to see. To me, it looked like an advertising deal. It felt like people were paying the temple to promote their generosity in the community. And it sends a message that God sells virtue to the highest bidder. That affects how people read the Bible's teaching on giving. The third way that you give money in Buddhism is for ceremonies. Families have to pay to give their ancestors appropriate religious status in the afterlife. And the fees are enormous. People would complain to me and it just sounded like extortion. And it sends the message that God holds your ancestors as hostages until he gets enough money from you. And again, that affects how people will read the Bible's teaching on giving. I remember hearing the testimony of a Japanese Christian. She said that she went to church for years and would put some spare bills in the offering plate when it came around. One day, she happened to see the amount on someone's offering envelope, and she thought they must have made a mistake. <laughs> Surely there was one too many zeros. The more she thought about it, though, the more she realized that she was the one who was mistaken in her giving. She'd been treating God like the busker you throw some coins at, and she resolved to change. She started giving the way the scriptures described, and she never looked back. I know that many of you have walked along that exact same path. You've confronted the values and assumptions about money that you brought with you from the world, and you've allowed God to transform them by his word. Others of you are still stuck. You hold your money in a clenched fist because that's how your money holds you. I want you to try and hear God's word on its own terms this morning and allow it to affect how you see your giving. If you have your Bible, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 to 15. If you don't have a Bible, click on the link for today's passage in the description below. I'll start reading at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, 
not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely, he is given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your con contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. This is the word of God. Now, I want to first define Christian giving and then show you two reasons that God gives for doing it. Let's start with a definition. Christian giving is wild and hilarious. It seems unrestrained and full of joy. When you see a Christian giving the way the Bible describes, it feels like it's over the top. And yet there's a joy rather than a seriousness to it. Christian giving is wild and hilarious. Now, let me set the scene. A famine has hit the region around Jerusalem and the churches there are suffering. Christians had a hard enough time of it financially anyway, because following Christ so often involved rejection from friends and family. The family, famine only added to their economic struggles. So Paul sought to rally the churches and regions that weren't affected to provide for their material needs of their brothers and sisters in Christ. As an encouragement to the Corinthians in chapter 8, Paul commends to them the churches in Macedonia. Starting in verse 2, he says, For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. If this isn't wild giving, I don't know what is. They were themselves facing what he calls a severe test of affliction. They were being persecuted for their faith and life was hard. When that happens, people usually shut down and just become absorbed with themselves. Instead, they gave themselves for others. He says that they lived in extreme poverty. We tend to think of giving as something that rich people should do. They knew it was everyone's job. In fact, research consistently shows that people give more as a percentage of their total income, the less that they make. In the 20th century, for instance, when the average disposable income quadrupled in North America, the percentage donated by Christians actually declined. Paul said that they gave beyond their means. That's his way of saying they were almost overdoing it. We often think of giving as something driven by emotion or guilt. But the Macedonian Christians, they were begging earnestly for the favor of taking part. 
They saw giving as a privilege and they didn't want to miss out on it. In verse 7, Paul says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, some people make a big deal of the fact that Paul doesn't mention tithing here. And it's true, he doesn't. But that's because giving God the first 10% of your income was so ingrained in the Old Testament and in Jewish thinking, it'd feel out of place given what he's just described about how wild Christian giving is. Nobody would have called 10% beyond their means. That was their starting point. And besides, this is a special offering. So it's being raised to meet a need, not a description of people's weekly offering. I heard of a little girl whose mother had given her a loony and a quarter and said, you can place either one of them in the offering plate. It's up to you. And on the way home, the mother asked her which she had decided to give. And the girl said, well, at first I was going to give the dollar. But then I heard the pastor explain that God loves a cheerful giver. And I figured I'd be more cheerful if I gave the quarter instead. Well, that's not what Paul means when he says to give cheerfully. The word cheerful here is the Greek word hilaros, from which we get hilarious. There should be a faith-filled joy to our giving. We should give until there's a smile on our face. Christian giving is an act of faith. It's a step of adventure. It's an act of trusting God and anticipating his work. Christian giving should come with a, with a laugh. As you consider the passage, how wild is your giving? When was the last time that the size of your offering check made you smile? If your neighbor saw how much you give away, would they shake their heads and think, you're a little crazy? If not, you may not have really heard the biblical teaching yet. Christian giving is wild and hilarious. I've had the privilege of meeting many wild and hilarious givers. Some who have a lot and some who have very little. I can't help but smile when I think about them. But they know two things about the kind of giving that Paul describes here. The first is this, Christian giving returns spiritual blessing. They don't feel a sense of loss with their con contributions. It's not as if they don't realize that they're making a sacrifice. But they know that there's a return. They know that God will bless their giving. They know that Christian giving returns spiritual blessing. Now in verse 6, Paul states the principle like this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. The harvest we enjoy from our money is in proportion to how we give it away, not to how much we have. There are tons of miserable rich people in the world. According to art historian Rab Hatfield, Michelangelo was one of them. He constantly complained to his family members that he was short of money and refused their requests for help. When he traveled on business with his two assistants, Michelangelo apparently would just book a single bed for the three of them to keep costs down. But he was wealthier than any artist had ever been up until that time. He died with a modern equivalent of tens of millions of dollars, but he neither shared his money nor enjoyed it. The Bible says the two are related. 
Proverbs 11.25, for instance, says this, Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. As we learn to give instead of hoard, God ministers to us. He gives us satisfaction in what we have that we can't experience when we try to keep it to ourselves. God ministers to us as we minister to others. And then he increases our capacity for doing good. In verse 8, for example, he says, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. The message is that as we sacrifice to give to God and to others, he stands with us in providing what we need. He fills up whatever we lack and provides for our cause. He states the same truth another way in verse 10. There, he says that God will multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. As we begin to see our money less as gold to spend on ourselves and more as seed that God's given us to invest in others, he gives us more seed. As he says in verse 11, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. God is promising to provide for our generosity. Sometimes he'll do, do that by providing us more money. Other times he'll do that by helping us to be content with less and spend what we have with more discernment and restraint. Either way, the provision is real. And in the process, he increases our righteousness. He multiplies our good works. Nobody wants to look back on their lives and realize they made it all about themselves. We don't want greed and selfishness to set the agenda for our lives. But it's only as we take steps to practice wild and hilarious giving that God breaks money's hold on us and gives us a harvest of spiritual blessing. So God does something in our lives as we give, but he also does something in the lives of others. Christian giving returns spiritual blessing to us, but it also increases the faith and love of others. Our generosity can point people to God and build spiritual bonds. It increases people's faith and love. And that doesn't usually factor into our thinking when we talk about giving. We see a financial need and we expect a financial result. And that's how it works in a business transaction. But when our giving is wild and hilarious, that's something more than that. Notice what Paul says in verse 12. The ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Do you hear what he's saying? As we give, it's not just that people are helped. Their eyes go from the gift to the God who ultimately provided it. When you've been on the receiving end of wild and hilarious giving, you can't help but stand back in awe and wonder at God. He's the only one who can inspire that kind of giving. He's the only one who can make that possible. And so their physical need is met, but their faith is impacted in the process. Verse 13 says, they will glorify God because of your submission. Your giving can move people to worship. You can deepen people's faith with your gift. 
And that happens when people are on the receiving end of our ministries as a church, when, when people are touched by the Im our impact as a congregation. That happens through our Christmas offering or the support that we give to Bayad al-Safa in Lebanon. That happens when you meet a financial need of someone in crisis. Our giving stirs worship and increases people's faith in God. But it also builds spiritual bonds between people. In verse 14, Paul says, they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. You can't help but be drawn to someone whose faith moves them to give. Generosity stirs our respect for a person and moves us to prayer. The Corinthian believers to whom Paul was writing, they were mostly Greek and Roman. The churches in Jerusalem, mostly made up of Jews. And there had been historic animosity between them. They were divided in many of the same ways that race often divides people today. Yet Paul had seen how a gift given in faith could build bridges where there had been division. He knew that generosity had the power to heal wounds and inspire love. Christian giving is never just about the money. It's never just about the need. It has the power to accomplish so much more. And yet the opposite is also true. When Christians treat their money the same way that the world does, people rightly question what our faith is really all about. According to research compiled by Christian Smith and Ronald Emerson, 20% of American Christians give absolutely nothing to the church, and the vast majority give very little. 20% of Christians give 86% of the total. But higher income Christians give a lower percentage of their income than lower income Christians. And so they write, reasonably generous financial giving of ordinary Christians would generate staggering amounts of money that could literally change the world. If just the committed Christians would tithe, they estimate that there would be an extra $46 billion a year available for kingdom work. That could fund 150,000 indigenous missionaries, 50,000 more theological students in the developing world, food, clothing, and shelter for all six and a half million refugees in Africa, Asia, and the Middle East, or the resources to sponsor 20 million needy children worldwide. If we were faithful in sowing the seed that God has entrusted to us, how much more blessing would we enjoy? How much more contentment and satisfaction would we have in our lives? How much more fruitful would we be? In the meantime, God is robbed of his glory. Now, Paul ends his section in the place where all wild and hilarious giving starts. In verse 15, he says, Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. People who have never learned to give haven't fully reckoned with God's gift. If you don't see how much you've been given, you're going to keep grasping for more. If you think you've earned heaven and are owed the privilege of a child of God, then you're just going to throw some coins in the box and pray your prayer. Paul thanks God for his inexpressible gift. Inexpressible means he's got no words for it. Even someone as gifted with words as the Apostle Paul was speechless in the face of all that Jesus had given 
to provide us with a gift of life. As he wrote in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Eternal life is a free gift. Eternal life for people whose sin warranted their death. That gift made wild and hilarious givers out of the Macedonian believers. Did the same among many in Corinth, and it's made wild and hilarious givers out of many in this church. But there are many more who are stuck. And maybe you're stuck because you haven't received that gift yet. Maybe you're stuck because you think you earned the gift with your religion and morality. Or maybe the gift just doesn't mean that much to you. It's nice and it has its place, but wild and hilarious giving just feels a little much. Remember that Jesus is the Savior, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that we by his poverty might become rich. As the hymn says, freely, freely you have received, freely, freely give. Go in my name, and because you believe, others will know that I live. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we can't help but wonder at the inexpressible gift that is ours in Jesus Christ. Thank you that he gave up all for us. Thank you that we receive all at no cost because he paid for everything. I pray, Father, for the reality of that inexpressible gift to work down into our hearts. I pray that people would lay hold of it in faith. And I pray that that gift would set us free from the false idols of money and more. Set people free into the contentment of uh, generosity, the contentment of your provision. Help us to see what you entrust to us as seed to be sown for your purposes and your glory. Make wild and hilarious givers out of us, that you might be glorified, that people might be built up in their faith, that your people might be unified, and that we might reap a harvest of righteousness. We ask you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope this message has helped you to see what Christian giving is and why it's so cru crucial to a life of faith and discipleship. If it stirred up questions or you'd like to know more about a relationship with Jesus, let's talk about it. If you think this is a message that others need to hear, share the link and help spread the word. As always, for more messages of hope, visit gracebc.ca. God bless and see you next time.